you'll take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1, we're going to look at a few verses in James 1 and then go over and read a portion of chapter 2. I told you when we began this book that it was kind of like, set up like Proverbs in the Old Testament, so there will be times where Uh, I won't be skipping around in the book, but I may be taking portions that address some of the same issues and bringing them together when it's appropriate. We will always go back and pick up the the portions that we leave behind, however. In James 1, beginning with verse 9, it says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away, and the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Then in chapter 2, my brothers, show no partiality as... You hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and are not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask now that you would show us where this book written so long ago intersects with our life and presides over it. We need to hear from you. We pray that you would give us ears and hearts to hear you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, you scouts, it is good to have you here, and you did a great job handing out the worship guides. I think everybody in this room got a worship guide, so thank you for doing that. And I know also that uh, you're having a food drive for sharing God's love, and that's a, that's a great thing to do. Uh, that's one of the ministries that we support here, too, because there are people in our community who have need of food and uh, other needs, and so it's a good thing for you to be uh, supporting them. Thank you for taking part in that. You know, when we talk about ministries like that, some questions can come up, though, can't they, in terms of how we deal with the poor. Picture this. You go to uh, downtown Columbia, and you're going to go out uh, to one of the restaurants for dinner. You park your car, and you begin to walk about a block or so to the restaurant. And out of the shadows comes a man, and he says, Sir, Can you help me? I haven't eaten for two days. Can you, can you give me anything? E- even enough for a cup of coffee? Please, sir. Now, you got some choices to make, don't you? There's all kinds of reactions. At least a couple of the most common ones would be You avoid all eye contact, you look straight ahead, and you just keep plowing on to the restaurant. Or, you scramble around hoping you have some change in your pocket, (laughs) hoping that you won't have to open your wallet, hoping you've got a little bit of change to give to him, and then hurry on to the restaurant. Now, if you walked on by, most people would have at least a little tinge of guilt as you sit down and you're looking over the menu in the nice warm restaurant and you see the prices there and you think in your mind of the man who just wanted a little bit for some coffee. Or... The other problem is if you gave him some money, whether it's change or a few bills, you might be thinking, have I just supported an addiction? Have I done him bad by giving him this and being gullible enough to do that? These are all dilemmas, and I imagine that most every adult in this room has faced uh, that, whether it's here in Columbia or somebody else, somewhere else, you have faced that kind of a, a situation and perhaps felt a little bit of that dilemma. We face it often here at church during the week as people come in, and we struggle with what the right thing to do 
every single time. Now, I would love to give you the answer for that. But it's not a simple answer. And in fact, the passage here doesn't go quite that far in terms of addressing those kinds of issues. But it does address something that is wrapped up in those issues, and that is this. What is our attitude in our heart about people who are in that situation? Our actions, as we will see again and again in uh, the book of James, our actions follow our heart. And we do need to consider what our heart attitude should be. Uh, Specifically, James is is talking about how a church uh, deals with the poor and how we ought to. So let's take a look at this. First, we see the status of the poor. There is a perception. We're going to look at the perception of the poor and the rich, and then we're going to look at the reality, which is really the way God looks at them. The, The perception is the way we tend to see Uh, the rich and the poor. The perception in terms of the poor in chapter 2, verse 2, and this speaks to both of them. It says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, in other words, into church, a poor man in shabby clothing, see, that's the perception, also comes in. You pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing. You say, you sit here and so on. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. The perception of the poor is one of lowliness. And we, most of us have some kind of a view in our mind of of the poor in terms of how they got into this predicament. And some of those are misconceptions. For instance, uh, we may, when we see someone who is poor, immediately think, well, they're poor by choice. You know, if they wanted a job, they could get a job. Now, in our current economic environment, we may be a little slower to say that. But that's one of those sometimes misconceptions that people immediately have. Or, uh, well, they're poor because they're lazy. Well, some who are poor are lazy, but not all. Or they're poor because of their race. Now, the poor typically have a poor conception of themselves as well. Listen to these quotes which are taken from different parts of the world. Poor uh, people were talked to in various parts of the world. It was put together in a series of books called uh, Voices of the Poor. But listen to these different voices. For a poor person, everything's terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We're cripples. We're afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. Another one said, I feel ashamed standing before my children when I have nothing to help 
feed the family. I'm not well when I'm unemployed. It's terrible. Another said, when one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. She has no food, so there's famine in her house. Another, if you're hungry, you'll always be hungry. If you are poor, you will always be poor. Now, whether we like hearing those or not, I assume you can hear the hopelessness in those voices. In how they look at themselves. Helpless and without hope. Now, James in this passage is speaking to poor Christians. And they wouldn't have fit into those categories that I gave you earlier in terms of why they were poor. In fact, many of them probably were poor because of their faith. They were discriminated against. So that's the perception that they are lowly. That is the tendency of how people look at the poor. What's the reality? And when I say that, what I'm saying is, how does God look at it? How does Jesus look at it? Is it the same as as our typical perception? Here's what he says in verse 9 of chapter 1 in in James. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Where does that come from? Chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has... Not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Now, how can that be so? How can can he say you you need to exalt? In fact, you've been chosen to be heirs of the kingdom. Where does that come from? Well, James, the brother of the Lord... got it from Jesus himself. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he had really gone public in any great sense of the word, he went to the synagogue as he did on a regular basis. And he was given the scroll, as often the young men were given to read. And instead of a a Bible, they would have a scroll that rolls up And so instead of turning pages, uh, they would uh, unroll the scroll. Now, what Jesus turned to was what we would consider today to be Isaiah 61. So they give him the scroll. He opens it up until he finds that portion of the book of Isaiah. And this is what it said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Of all the things he could have read in all of the Old Testament, he chose this passage to kick off his ministry. Good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then after that, he rolled the scroll back up, he gave it to the attendant, and he sat down, and all eyes were on him to see what he would say next. He said, Today, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what he was saying is that that I am that Messiah who has come and I will deal with people exactly where they are, in this case, as the poor, the blind, the captives. I'm here for them. That's how he kicked off his ministry. Now, some of you may consider yourself to be poor. Or maybe you came from poor background. There's another phenomenon in our day where even people that are not technically poor have some of these very similar feelings and that is when one loses their job. Whether anybody tries to make them feel second class or not, some feel that way because it's a difficult thing to go through. Now that's where the gospel of Jesus Christ touches our lives because in the gospel we find That our identity, whether we are to exalt or be humbled, our identity is not in what our job is. Our identity is not in how much money we have or have accumulated or how poor we are. It's not in our education. It's not in what kind of house we live in. Our identity is this. If you're trusting in Christ alone, you are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. You see, that's why in, in James he says, it's your exaltation Because it doesn't matter how the world looks at your status. He's saying, here in the church, we know differently. And that's why there can be a unity among those who have money and those who don't. Because those things in the big picture, in the long run, don't matter. Look at what James says about the status of the rich. The outward status, the, the perception, again, in chapter 2, verse 2, says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and if you pay attention to uh, his fine clothing, you say, here, sit here in a good place, he's saying how wrong that is. Now, I tried to think of a, a person that we might treat that way. <laughs> uh, when I was over in Atlanta, 
just up the road from us was uh, the mansion of Evander Holyfield, who'd been world champion in heavyweight boxing. And uh, we used to joke about, uh, boy, it'd be nice to get Evander Holyfield in our church. I think every pastor said that in the area. But I, I probably would have said that over there. I would have said, you know, what if Evander Holyfield showed up in the back? Would we treat him any differently than someone else? But I, I was racking my brain for who, who would it be here? wouldn't be the coach of Clemson. It wouldn't be the coach of South Carolina. Anyway, I, it was hard to figure who that would be. Now, I think that may be a commentary, a couple of things. I, I don't think it's because our hearts are more pure and we wouldn't do that. It may be a commentary that we got less heroes that we would treat that way. But the other thing is it may be a commentary on our affluence. We just wouldn't be as impressed with someone that came in here that way. Well, that's the perception. What's the reality? In chapter 1, verse 10, it says, after it talks about uh, the lowly brother boasting in his exaltation, it says, the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. And then it goes on in verse 11, and it talks about uh, the wealthy. How, how, can, how can James uh, talk about their humiliation? He says, because it's like this, verse 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now it's not saying that, that you're, you're any more a sinner if you are rich or you're wealthy. But if you're trusting in that, James is reminding him, look, here's the thing you're going to die just like everybody else. <laughs> I've done a lot of funerals in my ministry. And other than maybe the, the price of the funeral, doesn't make any difference in the end. We all, our lives are ended the same way. And that's what James is saying. You think... You think that your riches is going to get you something eternal, forget it. Right in the middle of your pursuits, <laughs> you might be taken. Well, the problem, as he talks about it very quickly, is discrimination is wrong. Chapter 2, verse 4. Have, if you treat them in that, that great way because they're wealthy, have you not made distinction among yourselves? become judges with evil thoughts. You've discriminated among yourselves. You've become judges and you are not the judge. You don't even see it the way it really is. That's the problem with looking on the outward. As Christ followers, we shouldn't be focused on the outward. Now, how serious is that? You may say, well, okay, but, you know, I don't see that as a... As it's that big of a problem. Maybe I would treat the wealthy person a little bit better, but come on. Well, in verse 
9, he says this. This is in chapter 2. If you show partiality, you're committing sin. And are convicted by the law of transgress- as transgressors. Now some would say, well, it's just a little sin though. It's not a big sin. Come on. Verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. He said, look. And this, this is where in the kingdom it's different. How you treat each other does matter, James is saying, and Jesus has said. Because that shows where your heart is. So what's the solution? Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. Loving your neighbor as yourself. James calls that the royal law because it comes from the king and it's for the children of the king. People who don't know the king won't treat others like they want to be treated themselves. They won't. They won't be consistent. They may do it with some people, but they won't be consistent in there. Jesus had summarized the law. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And James quotes him. Let me give you some applications here for our church as Christ followers. First of all, having and acknowledging differences is not bad. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not a bad thing that, uh, in fact, that's one of the things I love about our church is we've got people at all economic levels. We've got some that would be considered poor, I'm sure. We've got some that would be somewhere in the middle and some that would be by some considered rich. Well, that's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing because what draws us together is that, that, that ground at the foot of the cross is level. You know, it took just as much of Jesus to die for the poor as the rich and the rich as the poor. And that's his point. It's improper, secondly, to give preference to those with more material wealth. We just had an inquirer's class where people are getting ready to join the church, and I always say this in inquirer's classes because I, some people wonder this. I don't know what anybody in this church makes or gives. Now, that's my choice. I know there are some pastors that know exactly uh, how much the big givers give, And that's okay if they can handle it. But maybe it's because I'm too weak or I'm afraid I'm too weak, but I I don't want to know what anybody gives for several reasons. One is that I don't think I would do this, but I would never want to treat somebody better because I know they give a certain amount of money to the church. And I wouldn't even want to do that subconsciously. But not only that, if I don't even know, then nobody can even ever accuse me of that. And that's really where we ought to be in terms of how we treat one another. 
material things, those aren't really that important in, in terms of eternity. Remember Jesus, you know who he was impressed with? The widow. She didn't give much, but she gave her all. It wasn't about amounts for him. It was about a a heart of love for God. And then thirdly, it's wrong to discriminate on account of race or ethnic background. I have heard throughout my ministry, and I'm sad to say that I think it's still true in our day, that at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, is the most segregated hour of the week in our country. That doesn't mean because 8.45 people are better. (laughs) Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. But we must always make sure it is never because we are trying to make it that way because we are not open or because people who aren't just like us would not be welcomed. And then fourthly, it's wrong to judge on outward appearances. We've got to remember that we look on the outward and God looks on the heart. Jesus said he was sent to proclaim good news to the poor. In all of this, we need to have a heart for the poor among us first and in our community and in our state and our country and then in the world. That is what the church of Jesus Christ has always been characterized by and it continues to be. Where there are poor, there are Christ followers ministering to them. During one of the awful persecution of Christians under, uh, called the Decian persecution. Roman soldiers used to break into churches and, and they would uh, often loot the churches and take whatever they could from the followers of Christ. One, one time Roman soldiers broke into a church where a man named Laurentius was a deacon. And they demanded, where, where are your treasures? He said, follow me. And he took them to a back room. And then he opened the door. And inside that room were widows being attended to. The hungry were being fed. The ill were being taken care of. The orphans were being loved. And he said, these are our treasures. May God enable us to see that gift that he has given to us and more and more love our neighbor as ourselves, which God says is to do well. Let's bow together.